Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I rejoin three former Gurkha officers who served in the British Army throughout their military careers. The Gurkhas are soldiers of Nepalese nationality and have been part of the British Army for more than 200 years. They're famous for their ability in jungle warfare, they served in both the world wars and all carry a traditional kukri knife. The Gurkhas came to Hong Kong from what was then Malaya in the late 1950s and served in Hong Kong until just before the handover, making up a large contingent of the British Army here. Today, I rejoin two Nepalese Gurkhas, retired Lieutenant Gurung Indra and retired Captain Gurung Tara, as well as former Lieutenant Colonel Nigel Collette. Last week, we talked about how they're helping with a fundraising campaign to get badly needed medical goods to Nepal to help combat COVID-19. Here's a quick reminder to start the programme on how Gurung Indra, who's now 84, joins the Gurkhas at the young age of 13. When I enlisted in the British Army, I was very young, only age of 13. But uh, I had to write 15. So now actually my age is 84. But according to my ID, it is 86. That is because my father, who was in the British Army, was killed in 1942 in Burma during World War II. And the commandant of Edgar Rifles was with him. And he knows my father very well. And we had a pension. My mother drew the pension from British Army at that time. So we had to go to Kunagad from Nepal to India to collect pension of my mother. I, I also get five rupees a month allowance. So I had to accompany my mother. So we used to travel to India every year, especially in December, November. So during that time, in 1947, when India got independent, then the British Army depot was separated, though it was situation in India as well. So at that time, when I went there, and the recruiting officer, he was the British officer, and one of my relatives who was working with the depot, recruiting depot, he was there, and he introduced me to this DRO, and he knows me well, and after he said that he's son of Tirpan Gurung, my father's name was Tirpan Gurung, and he was with my father when my father was died, killed in Mandalay. So he says that you should enlist in British Army. But at that time I was only 13, and I was not able to reach the height, weight, and age. Even though he insisted to enlist, so I enlisted in British Army as a boy. So I stayed in Malaysia as a boy for three years. That was a very long time ago. I, I still remember all those times. So you were in the British Army as of the age of 13? 13. 13. In that Malay was in, in January 1950. So you go from India to Malaysia? Yeah. Then from there, I traveled in a ship from Calcutta to Malaysia. At that time it was called Malay only. 
Yes, of course. Mm. So you're, yes, you're in, well, British Malaya at that yeah, point. Yeah. So you start off in Malaya as a very young teenager. Mm -hmm, yes. So are you still in some sort of school? Or are you in training? Yes, yes, in boys' company. It was mostly school, though we get some military training. So like marching? Marching and shooting. You had to practice firing in the target. When did you become sort of like an adult? Is it age 16 or in, in terms of the British Army? Well, after three years, 18 years. Oh, yes, of course, because you're joining at 15. Mm. Um, yeah, so 18 years or when you were actually 16, mm. you're then part of the, the British Army in then Malaya. Yeah. Where are you first tasked then? You're, you stay in Malaya? Yes, I stayed in Malaya most of the time. That is 1950 to around 1965. So and that's quite a difficult time then, yeah, towards the end yeah. of that. Well, actually, the uh, emergency started from 1948 oh, to 58. Mm -hmm. And when, in 1958, the Malay got independent, then the Brigade of Gospels moved from Malaysia to Hong Kong. Then our uh, Brigade of Gospels uh, office was established at Shekong. So how were you involved in the emergency? Well, after 52, when I joined my regiment, 2nd uh, Battalion, Siskorka Rifles, I joined in 1953. Then after that, we were engaged with the emergency patrolling in Malaya. So in, in, in terms of that emergency, so you've got uh, you know, communist uh, yes. insurgents. You're then involved in sort of border control? or Well, you mean here or in Malaya? No, in Malaya. In Malay, uh, it is not border control. It was when the incident or information received by the regiment, then we had to go there and catch them. So what happened is from 1948, we learned a lot about guerrilla warfare because the communists were using the tactics and we were not trained about that. So we had to learn from them. Then later on, we were trained about guerrilla warfare, so now British Gorkhas are very well known about the guerrilla warfare. Little bit different between conventional warfare and guerrilla warfare, mm -hmm. because communists use uh, guerrilla warfare. So you're in the jungles, really? Yeah, although always in the jungle. So you must have learned not only, as you say, guerrilla warfare, but presumably you're using bivouac, so you're living out in the jungle, were you? Yes, most of the time, because they always uh, live in the jungle. They came to the town only to resupply their needs. That's all. Otherwise, they are always in the jungle. It is a lot of jungle there. Only few parts are cultivated with rubber. Otherwise, most of the places are covered with jungle. Most of the information we get from the rubber tapers because they always go to tapping the rubber. So they work in the rubber states and the bandits use them for the information and we also get information from them. So the rubber tappers provide information to whoever's, whoever's paying them? Because most of the uh, rubber tappers were Indian from Tamil Nadu from India because they were taken there from India to do the tapping. So they were very much similar with us and we understand their language and they understand ours. So we are a bit closer. 
so you're you're using the rubber tappers as, mm. as informants mm. uh, in Malaya. So that's uh, the Malayan emergency. Now, when do you come to Hong Kong? Uh, I think 1962, I think. And uh, were you based up at Sekong, or where did you first start? At Penling. So Gallipoli Line. So this is the name of the barracks, or yeah, it's Gallipoli Barracks. Actually, it is Gallipoli Barracks. I think the hospital and station there was two six Gurkha Rifles. Yeah, so how many? So you're the part of the second six uh, Gurkha Rifles at that time in, here in Hong Kong in 1962. So how many Gurkhas were you? Would you estimate? Well, about ten thousand. In Hong Kong. Wow. In a regiment. Yes. In a regiment. But there were other regiments as well. The Gorkha regiment are uh, from one first to eleven. First Gorkha rifles, second Gorkha rifles, third Gorkha rifles, fourth Gorkha rifles, to eleven Gorkha rifles. And actually when India became independent in nineteen forty seven, then British Army and the Indian Army was separated. So the workers was divided into uh, two groups. First, third, fourth, fifth, eighth, ninth, eleventh was stationed, lived behind in India. Second, sixth, seventh, ten came to Malaya as a British workers. In Hong Kong, you're based at the Gallipoli, Gallipoli Lines in Fanling. And what was your... Tell me, if so in the early 1960s, what kind of work were you involved in? I mean, there would have been disaster relief, there would have been illegal immigrants. So if you can tell me what kind of roles you did. Well, actually, at that time, it was have the police and guard the border patrol. That so was you were the there with a, with a pair of binoculars? Or? At that time, it was only just patrolling along the borders. And we had an area from one place to another. And that was divided into the companies. One company from here to there, another company from there to there. The fence patrol. Yeah. yeah. And what would happen? You would actually, I presume, overnight more... Would either it was so it would be either swimming across or you were a land you're at a land border though aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Well, we we were all uh, along the river, you know, the border river and river banks, and when they came over here, we had to catch them and ask the police or taken to the police station. So, and I don't know what they do after that. And in that time, the internal security uh, we had to train. For that to control the crowds and that is called right control. control. Yeah, right yeah, control. Yeah. Well, you had the 66-67 outbreak mm -hmm. here, didn't you? In terms of well, we we, we do uh, that kind of works even before 67. We used to do that because when police ask us the help, then we go and we help them. The main one was in 1967. Yeah, uh, because. Uh, uh, there was very big influence between the uh, Hong Kong people and the communist uh, influence. The communist people, they used to carry the red book and uh, always influence about Mao Zedong. So they want, to, they want to be communist in Hong Kong as well. So they kept uh, struggling with the Hong, uh, Hong Kong government and they, they created a lot of uh, uh, problem against the government. Uh, and in 1967, uh, it was uh, right everywhere. So the police 
and the army people had to do the joint operation uh, to control them. So it was very busy that that year, 1967. So that time, my battalion, 2nd 6th Gorkhas, was in Satokok, and 1st 6th Gorkhas were in Takuling, Mankamto, and 7th Gorkhas was in Mankamto. So that time, it, several police, Pakistani police, were get shot, they got killed. So there were a lot of problem in that year. What years are you in Hong Kong? I was also in 1967, came in Hong Kong. And uh, I've been doing the same the same operation like Lepton uh, like told you. We have been doing the border observation post and border patrol, disaster relief, like a typhoon, number 10 typhoon. And at that time, there were a lot of boat people in Hong Kong. So they were very busy for the police and then only the police cannot uh, help them, so the army had to be involved to rescue the boat people at that time. So you were involved in, yes, um, as you say, disaster relief. You'd have had a lot of sl- landslides, I think, also at that also time. landslide, yeah. Landslide and uh, typhoon together. So as part of the second sixth, and then in your case, Captain Gurungtara, after 1970 with the Sixth Gurkha Rifles, you're, yes. you're, you're doing this military role, of course, um, but you're also doing a civilian support role. Yes, madam. After that, after 1978, to 1985-86, there was illegal immigrant operation. Coming every in from mainland China? Yeah, from mainland China. Every, every night. So that was very busy time at that time. You join at the age of 13, officially at the age of 15, and your father was also a Gurkha and in fact uh, is killed in 1942. What does it mean to you to, to be a Gurkha? Well, I'm very, very polite because my father was a soldier and my brother also was a soldier and myself was a soldier. So uh, we are a family, British Army. Tell me about, uh, can you educate me a little bit about Gurkha traditions? I know about the the cookery knives, but, but I don't really understand some of the Gurkha culture. Well, it's very difficult and in Nepal, uh, there are a lot of different castes, so they have their own tradition. And after my retirement, I studied my own caste, so I know about my caste, their story, but I don't know the others. The Korkos was first uh, enlisted uh, in British Army, and that was two kind of caste was enlisted. That was Gurung and Mughals. Then later on, when the number were increased, then Limbu and Rai was also allowed to... I see, so the different castes mm. within Nepal came mm. in at different oh. times. So you have the, the Gurkhas beginning in 1815. We have 11 regiment, and during the war time, each regiment has six battalions, and each battalion population is about 1,000. Now tell me about being up at Gallipoli Lines in, in Fanling. Can you describe the camp to me a little bit? So you, did you then have your family here? Yes. Well, actually my daughter was born there. No, she's here now with me. And I'm staying with my daughter because she was born here and she got the ID of Hong Kong. Gallipoli Barrack was Sunway camp before. So later, 
uh, all the name like Queens Hill was the battalion camp, battalion base, but it became Burma Line later on in 1974, around 75. Likewise, in Sakong, it was named Borneo Line. They established the new name. All the name especially come from the war, place of the war, like Gallipoli, Casino Line, and Borneo Line, and Burma Line. All the name come from the war. I see. So they, yeah, so they would say, change the yeah, name some of the time. Yeah, yeah. Now, you say you worked in uh, Malaysia, Singapore, Brunei, Belize, the UK, New Zealand, and also yeah. Hong Kong. Yeah. Can you tell me why you decided to become a Gurkha? Because my brother was in six-year Gurkhas already. The first one was my br elder brother. So he, he tried to emphasize me to join the Gurkha regiment, the Gurkha battalion. So I... I also tried to join his own, but his his battalion. So I also became six six year battalion. Within within Hong Kong, as you say, you had these. I mean, I didn't realize you were quite so big. Um, so mm. ten ten thousand Gurkhas here. Between ten and twelve at the maximum. Um, I'm not sure of the exact figure, but it was a very large number. They were the majority of the troops in the Hong Kong garrison. What, what years are you here for, with the Gurkhas? I came here first in 1985, and I stayed here solidly until 1992, when I went down to Brunei. What I'm interested in also is hearing about in Hong Kong not only your uh, service in terms of, you know, cooperating with the police for both civilian and, and more, you know, as I say, with, with uh, disaster relief. But also I'd like to hear about the camps. The camps were different from normal army barracks, which are just lines of barrack blocks for soldiers and officers and some facilities for training. That's the normal army barracks, and that would be what Stanley was like. A Gurkha lines, Gurkha barracks, were different because they had a village of the family living amongst them. The officers' quarters and the other ranks' quarters were like a very smart but nice village from Nepal. There were facilities for the families in the camp which you would never get in a British camp. Uh, there was a goldsmith who would make jewellery and decorations for the messes. There was a shop for the families to buy things from Nepal and, and from India. There was a kindergarten for the children uh, to be looked after by usually some of the wives. There was uh, an infant school in the camp um, where the children could start their schooling. Camp also always had a family centre inside itself uh, where social activities and welfare could take place. There was a, um, a medical centre which was more of a family uh, medical centre than it was for the soldiers, although it was there for the soldiers too. Mm. But it was always somewhere where the doctor was there with a Safa sister who would look after the children. So when children were born in the hospital, they were brought back to the quarters and then they were looked after in the way that in Hong Kong people are always looked after now by the government. Well, in the army we had to do it ourselves. So the doctor and the Safa sister and some of the families would also, um, some of the wives would be nurses in, in the family hospital and they would look after the children. So the camp had things also like uh, boys scouts and, and, and cub scouts and girl guides. Um, there were children's activities in the camp. There were also rather strange things like a herd of goats usually in the camp uh, which was kept for the Dashira festival and so wherever you were wandering around the camp you were in danger of being trampled over by the goat and there was a soldier who was the goat herd who would um, make the <laughs> look after the goats. 
there were messes in the camp which were different for Gurkha officers and British officers. They were separated at that stage. There were many more Gurkha officers in a battalion. In fact, the, the Gurkha officers were the ones who made things work in the battalion. And so they had their own mess. The British officers had their own mess. And then there was a Gurkha sergeant's mess and another ranks club. So it was a huge community of people. All in all, you're talking about perhaps 1,500 people, including the families, who were living together uh, in this one rather isolated uh, spot together. That's how interesting. So, yes, uh, you mentioned Dashira there. So can you say about, you know, when you were in the camp, you would celebrate these festivals together? Yes, well, we have different time for the celebration and we have different uh, types of festivals. Mainly it is based on Hindu religion, though the Gorkhas, Gurung Mogar Rai Limbus, they are called the Gorkhas, and they are actually, it's not Hindus, but they are forced to do the Hindu, Hindu religion. So we had a bound priest, he is always selected from the bound, the Brahmin in Nepal, and he was always with the regiment. Brahman is, is, as Saab said, a Brahman. Um, it is what, the, in Nepal, the, the caste of Brahman caste is called Baum. Yeah? Yeah. And the, the high caste Hindu caste always produces pundits or priests. Mm. And each regiment had its own pundit, who was usually handed over from father to son uh, mm. in, a, in a succession. So that would be up at Gallipoli Lines as well, so you'd yes. have all of these different aspects. Every, 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 every battalion has their own um, on religious teacher, religious teacher, on bound. Until the monarchy fell, Nepal was a Hindu kingdom, mm -hmm. and so the British arrangement with Nepal was that it was a Hindu kingdom, and so all its people were Hindus. It was rather like everybody in England was supposed to be Church of England, um, but uh, all of the ceremonies that we forced all the soldiers to attend, the Hindu ceremonies, um, were in some cases counter to their own religion. Um, Buddhists do not chop off the heads of goats and buffaloes, <laughs> but um, the Hindu side did. So in the army we did those things. Um, and we carried on doing those things. It became part of the custom. But I do not think that many of the soldiers believed in anything that the pundit or the priest was telling them very much about it. Some of the soldiers would not attend the ceremonies, and that was the reason. Actually, I want to tell about the... Do you know the geography of Nepal? Nepal became only 200 years ago. Before that, it was divided into different parts. Limbuan, Kumbuan, Tamsling, Tamuan, Magarat, and Khasan. King Prithvinarayan Shah, who started Nepal, he is the king of Gurkha, and it is his kingdom that gives us the name Gurkha. And the reason why we have Gurkhas in the British army is that when the British first met uh, Nepalese, the king of Nepal's troops were mostly from Gorkha still, and they were called Gurkhas. Um, and so we thought everybody in the army from Nepal was a Gurkha, and so we called everybody Gurkha, even if they came from the east, from the rise and the Limbus, and so it has stuck. Um, it is an old thing, but the place is called Gorkha. Now, did you two cross over in your careers? Were you together at any one point in your careers? Or you know one another more recently? No, no, no we know a long time ago. I was selected as an education instructor in Boys Company. At that time, he was the boy. Oh, there. Here in Hong Kong or elsewhere? Uh, no, yeah. in, 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 in Sungai Patani, that is the northern Malaysia. part of Malaysia. <laughs> yeah. So that's when you know one another from? Yeah, that time uh, I was in Boys Company boy uh, before I became a re recruit. 
and he was uh, the education instructor for the boys and that time I met him and then I I was uh, his student so what was he teaching you uh, he has been teaching about the science and the roman garkhali roman garkhali is how to write english script in nepali how to write english script in nepali yeah for example water is pani i have to write pani and then i must write pani in english yes so, so that is around garkhali ah, so, <laughs> so that's what you were teaching so oh i was expecting when you said boyhood instructor i wasn't expecting yeah, yeah school stuff i was expecting military <laughs> techniques or so so you're actually in the classroom yes oh. i was an instructor i was uh, selected to teach the boy for two years so i stayed two years in boys company as a school teacher and was captain tara a good student of course <laughs> <laughs> because his brother and me was very close friend so we know each other very Now, well you're teaching me so much today thank you um but in terms of you know what what was also interesting which i've never even thought about within the gurkhas themselves that that you've got four castes who are in the gurkhas um men mainly now now the tamang newars and other chetris are interested so it's, it's now spread to to yeah. all yeah 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 But did you find though that uh, because uh, Gurung is is your cast did you find that during your career were you you know like when you're up at Gilipilly Lines is it more Gurung together or it really doesn't make any difference or it's based on who you're working with within the army itself Not much different Yeah not much different because we have to share it and then we have to understand about the situation uh, so it doesn't matter about the cast Mm. So we don't care Gurung, don't care Magar or Rai or Limbo. We are also the soldier together. When you were working together, or when when uh, you know the Gurkhas are working together in the army, what was your mode of communication? When, was it Nepalese or was it uh, yeah? So amongst one another. That's why we uh, we always communicate in Nepalese, though we have our own language. Rai has their own language, Limbus has their own language, Gurung has their own language, and Magars has their own language. And 20 different castes in Nepal. So all caste people have their own language, and so they, they speak their own dialect. Can you explain to me about the cookery knives? Cookery is the, our ceremonial cookery. Uh, this is always carried carry during the war, especially during the war, because... Uh, whenever the ammunition finished we have to use the last last aspect for fighting and that is cookery for example if you finish your ammunition you have to use your bayonet but instead of using bayonet cookery is more handy to chop off or to attack the enemy so cookery is the main weapon for the soldier well, actually i think the cookery was introduced from eastern nepal because rai and limbus are from eastern nepal and they use cookeries always so uh, that was the main weapon so they carries cookeries always while they are in the villages so that became the tradition to the gurkhas for hong kong heritage if i was just going to say what would be uh, one or two uh, gurkha phrases can you help me with that gurkha phrase ayo gurkhali that is the last 
command of attack. Whenever we finish our ammunition, we withdraw the cookery and go to attack the enemy. And the word is Ayogurkali. Ayogurkali! My thanks to Gurung Indra, Gurung Tara and Nigel Collette, retired officers of the 6th Queen Elizabeth Zone Gurkha Rifles. All three men are helping to raise money and collect medical goods to send to Nepal as part of a campaign organised by the Hong Kong Ex-Servicemen's Association and their patron Sean Ho Tung to help combat the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm happy to report that two lorry loads with 450 oxygen cylinders on board for Nepalese hospitals have now arrived in Nepal after travelling through China and an air cargo load with tens of thousands of face masks and other medical equipment is ready to go from Hong Kong. If you'd like to know more about the campaign, then go to the Fringe Backer crowdfunding site. So just type in Fringe Backer covid and Nepal into Google and you'll find it. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.